From Astoria to the Rockaways, it's time for the Queen's New Yorker. And here is the man giving you all the info, your uber snazzy and jazzy host, Mr. Jason DeCanio! Welcome you to another edition of the Queen's New Yorker. I'm your host and moderator, Jason Paul DeCanio. It is episode 182 of this series of the Borough of Queens on Saturday, May 1st, 2021. It's now part three of the history of our great team, the New York Islanders. Yes. Oh, yeah. We're having a lot of fun with this uh, series on the sports teams. We did the New York Mets, pulled out six parts on that. Now we're on part three of the history of our New York Islanders. And we're going to... uh, Look at 1983 to 1991. That's where we're going to be in our series here. So let's uh, go ahead and get to that because we have a lot to uh, we have a lot to uh, go on here. But first, we have some sweating of the small stuff quotes for you from the past week. This is uh, from Wednesday, April 28th, and it says. There are three excellent reasons for becoming a less aggressive driver. First, when you are aggressive, you put yourself and everyone around you in extreme danger. Second, driving aggressively is extremely stressful. Your blood pressure goes up. Your grip on the wheel tightens. Your eyes are strained. And your thoughts are spinning out of control. And finally, you end up saving no time in getting to where you want to go. Now, for Thursday, April 29th, when you make the conscious decision to become a less aggressive driver, you begin using your time in the car to relax. Try to see your driving not only as a way of getting you somewhere, but as a chance to breathe and to reflect. Rather than tensing your muscles, see if you can relax them instead. For Friday, April 30th, How often do you remember or take the time to tell people how much you like, admire, or appreciate them? For many people, it's not often enough. And finally, for today, Saturday, May 1st, and Sunday, May 2nd, today's sweating of the small stuff quote is this. Relaxed people can still be super achievers. In fact, relaxation and creativity go hand in hand. And there you have it, folks. The sweating of the small stuff quotes in all of its glory 
And we hope that you get a lot out of those quotes. All right, it's time to go now to our look at part three of the New York Islanders, 1983 to 1991, post-dynasty and the Easter epic. All of our information comes from the Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia. Okay, so the Islanders finished the 83-84 regular season tied atop the Prince of Wales Conference while successfully defending their Patrick Division title. The drive for five got off to a tense start, and late in the deciding game of their first-round series against the Rangers, Don Maloney tied the game with a controversial goal as the Islanders believed Maloney's stick was too high. They ultimately eliminated the Rangers for the fourth consecutive year. The team then defeated the Washington Capitals in five games and the Montreal Canadiens in six to set up a finals rematch with the Oilers. The series featured rookie Pat LaFontaine scoring two third-period goals in 38 seconds. This time, the Oilers dethroned the Islanders to win the first of what would be five Stanley Cup victories in seven years. For the 1984 playoffs, the NHL changed the home-and-away schedule for the finals, which provided <coughs> the Islanders' home ice advantage in the series based on winning a regular season game against the Oilers despite finishing lower than them in the overall standings. The new format had them play three straight games in Edmonton, where the Oilers managed to lock up the series. Bossy cited the team's hard time winning an away game as their downfall in the series. The Oilers also ended the Islanders' 19th series playoff winning streak. It remains the longest streak in the history of professional sports, one more than the 59-67 to streak by the Boston Celtics of the NBA. And unlike the 1976-79 Canadians, who needed to win three games in the 76-77 and 77 playoffs, under the playoff format in place at that time, the Islanders had to win four series in each of their Stanley Cup seasons. The Islanders remained competitive for the rest of the decade, even as some of the stars from the Cup teams departed. As the decade wore on, Pickett began to keep the money from the team's cable deal rather than reinvest it in the team as he had done in past years. Although it did not become clearly immediately, the lack of funds limited Torre's ability to replace all of the departing talent. In the 84-85 season, the Islanders slipped to third in their division, followed by similar results in the 85-86 and 86-87 seasons. They began facing stiff competition from division rivals, the Philadelphia Flyers, who eliminated the Islanders in the Patrick Division Finals in 85 and 87, and the Capitals, who swept the Islanders' 86 first-round series, the team's first exit without winning a playoff round since 1978. In 1986, Nystrom retired due to a serious injury, and Clark Giles was picked up on waivers by the Buffalo Sabres. Arbor retired as coach following the 85-86 season and was replaced by longtime junior hockey coach Terry Simpson. During the first round of the 87 playoffs against the Capitals, the Islanders had fallen behind in the series three games to one, but were not eliminated due to a playoff format change from a best-of-five series to a best-of-seven. The Islanders evened the series, which set the stage for one of the most famous games in NHL history, the Easter Epic Kelly Rudy stopped 73 shots on goal, while Pat LaFontaine 
scored at the 847 mark of the fourth overtime and at 1.56 a.m. on Easter Sunday morning. <laughs> the win came even though the Islanders had been outshot 75-52. to They were eliminated in the Patrick Division Finals in seven games by the Flyers. Chronic back pain forced Mike Bossy to retire after the season. The following season, the Islanders captured another division title, but were defeated in the first round of the playoffs by the upstart New Jersey Devils. Potvin retired after the playoffs, holding records for most career goals at 310, 742 assists, and 1,052 points by a defensiveman. Though he had since been passed in three cat these categories by Ray Baroque and Paul Coffey, around this time, the team's run of good luck in the draft began to run out. Of their four top draft picks from 1987 to 1990, they lost one to a freak knee injury and two others never panned out. The 88-89 season saw the Islanders win only seven of their first 27 games. Torre fired Simpson and brought Arbor back. And Arbor was unable to turn things around, and the team finished with 61 points, tied with the Quebec Nordiques for the worst record in the league. It was their first losing season and the first time missing the playoffs since their second season. Smith, the last remaining original Islanders player, retired after the season to become the team's goaltending coach. And not long after the end of the season, Pickett moved to Florida and turned day-to-day -day operations over to a committee of four Long Island entrepreneurs, Ralph Pelecci, Bob Rosenthal, Stephen Walsh, and Paul Greenwood. Now, in return, they each bought a 2.5% interest of the team. And in the next season, the Islanders rebounded to get back into the playoffs but fell to the Rangers in five games of the opening round. The team bought out the remaining years of Brian Trottier's contract, sending him off with a team record of games played. The 90-91 season had the team finish well out of the playoffs after winning only 25 games. Now, let's go to 1991 to 1995, the new faces, and the miracle of 93. Now, LaFontaine, the Islanders' remaining superstar, was frustrated with the team's lack of success and the progress of his contract negotiations and held out rather than report to camp before the 91-92 season. In response to the holdout, Torre engineered a rebuilding project with two blockbuster trades on October 25th of 91. He dealt LaFontaine, Randy Wood, and Randy Hiller, along with future considerations to the Buffalo Sabres, in return for Pierre Turgeon, Benoit, or Benoit Hogg, Hugh Krupp, and Dave McQuallan. Now... He also sent longtime captain Brett Sutter and Brad Lauer to the Chicago Blackhawks for Steve Thomas and Adam Crichton. With these additions and a talented core of players such as Derek King, Ray Ferraro, and Patrick Flatley, along with incoming Soviet players Vladimir Malakoff and Darius Kasparitis, <laughs> Kasparitis, the Islanders had a new foundation in the early 90s. The management committee, however, was not nearly as patient as Bowen Pickett had been and forced Torre to resign after the Islanders missed the playoffs again that season. Assistant General Manager Don Maloney was hired in Torre's place, while Torre quickly resurfaced with the expansion Florida Panthers. In Maloney's first year, 1992-1993, the Islanders rebounded to make the playoffs and in the process surpassing the 80-point mark for the first time in six years. The LaFontaine-Turgeon trade 
proved successful for both the Islanders and the Sabres as both players hit career highs in points and Turgeon won the Lady Bing Trophy that year. Now, Ray Ferraro emerged as a playoff hero, scoring a pair of overtime winners in the first-round series against the Capitals. Now, instead of celebrating after winning Game 6 at Nassau Coliseum, however, the Islanders were both irate and despondent. Turgeon, the team's star center and leading scorer, suffered a shoulder separation when Dale Hunter checked him from behind as he celebrated the series' clinching goal. Turgeon was believed to be out for the entire second round, if not longer. He returned only for spot power play during or duty in the last game of the second round, and Hunter received a then-record 21-game suspension. The Islanders' next opponent, the Pittsburgh Penguins, were twice defending Stanley Cup champions and full of stars such as Mario Lemieux, Yarmir Yager, and Ron Francis. The Penguins had roared through the regular season with 119 points, as well as recording a record 17 consecutive wins toward the end of the season and were overwhelmingly favored to win a third straight championship. Jim Smith of Newsday predicted that with Tergeron on the sidelines, the Penguins would sweep the Islanders out of the playoffs. However, on the strength of outstanding goaltending from Glenn Healy and contributions from all four lines, the Islanders achieved a huge upset when Dave Volek scored at the 5-16 of overtime of the deciding seventh game. Newsday's front page the, the day following the win was a picture of Healy with a headline reading, It's a miracle. This was the last playoff series won by the Islanders for 23 years until the 2015-2016 season. Now, Turgeron returned to the Islanders' top line for the Wales Conference Finals against the Montreal Canadiens, though he was not in peak form as he had not fully recovered. The Islanders bowed out of the playoffs after a hard-fought five games, two of which went to overtime. After beating the Islanders, the Canadians went on to win the Cup. Maloney had avoided making many personal changes his first year, but on the eve of the 93 expansion draft, he traded backup goaltender Mark Fitzpatrick to the Quebec Nordiques for Ron Hextall. The clubs also exchanged first-round picks in the deal, and able to predict or protect only one netminder in the expansion draft, the Islanders left Healy exposed. He was claimed by the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim and then was claimed by the Tampa Bay Lightning in Phase 2 of the draft the next day and finally had his rights traded to the Rangers where he became the backup. The Islanders barely squeezed past the Panthers, the Panthers to make the 94 playoffs before being swept in a lopsided opening series by the first-placed Rangers, who went on to win the Cup. Arbor retired for good as coach and was succeeded by longtime assistant Lauren Henning, Hextall, who allowed 16 goals in three games, drew most of the criticism for the failed playoff campaign and was shipped to Philadelphia for Tommy Sorderstrom in September. In the lockout-shortened 94-95 season, the Islanders not only failed to qualify for the playoffs, they finished ahead of only the third-year Ottawa Senators. And we will pick up on Tuesday with the continuation of Part 4, of the New York Islanders.
All right, and don't forget to also check us out on BitChute, where we have uploaded the first eight episodes of The Queen's New Yorker for your viewing pleasure. If you want to start the series all over again, you can. We have had tremendous, tremendous views on that platform, and we're going to continue to do that in the near future. So stay tuned for future episodes coming up, because what we're going to have to do now is going to have to reload everything back to slideshow presentations, put them back for episodes 9 through 34, and that way we'll be able to uh, get you back on top of the game here, as they say. All right? And I thank you very much for continuing your support of the Queens New Yorker on Anchor and, of course, on BitChute. Remember, if you have Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can listen there on eight platforms. So please do your part to help keep the Queens New Yorker going strong and get to 200 episodes, which we're going to be getting there. Only 18 episodes away from that big 200 mark. We're really excited about that. I'm Jason DeCanio, hoping that you have a great rest of the weekend. We will see you on Tuesday on the Queens New Yorker right here on Anchor, Spotify, and, of course, BitChute. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. You have been watching The Queen's New Yorker. This is Jason Kelly on a Jason DeCanio Internet presentation. Thank you for your support. Thank you.